You're listening to the Grieving Mamas Club podcast, a space for moms who are on the wild ride of motherhood while navigating their grief journey. Here are your hosts. I'm Rashida, a motherless mom of a three-year-old and a one-year-old. Yep, that is two under four. And I'm Kara, a motherless mom with a three-year-old, an angel baby, and one on the way. Let's dig in. Hello, listeners, and welcome to episode number 20. Two, zero. And we're going to reward you with the depressing episode. Oh, we going to cry. We're going to be so We're going to get mad. We're going to feel our feels. <laughs> we are. <laughs> Let's see how that feels. So in this episode, bear with us because we're going to be doing some reading from an article we found. But essentially, the American Psychiatric Association has recently deemed, decided, however, voted on that as part of their DSM-5 new book of what are, I guess, mental disorders that are that insurances can bill for, basically, and you know, yeah, is the the quick way of putting it. They have decided to add a new diagnosis called prolonged grief. Yes, prolonged, prolonged grief disorder. Yeah. Yes, yes, and it's before we get into that. Actually, it's interesting because right as we started recording, Kara was talking about how her mom's death anniversary is coming up, and this will be three, two, two, two years, and how she's feeling. Talk, let's talk about that, Kara, how you're feeling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So sorry. I laughed because <laughs> just like, that. how are you talk about yeah. that? I know it's, I sounded like a talk show host. <laughs> yeah. So tell me, how are you feeling? Well, yeah. Rashida, let me tell you in all seriousness, it's, it's reliving all of those moments up until, you know, this time, two years ago, uh, my mom was alive and it's this, it's the sights it's, you know, spring trees are budding. It's more, getting warmer out the smells. It's also weird. Cause that's like when COVID first hit too. So I, you know, it was like hard and hot and heavy on trying to like be outside as much as possible, you know, mm-hmm. cause we, we made the shift into just working from home all the time. And, you know, the kids were home too. So it was like, it was, it sucked all around. Like they had the, the death toll count going up and yeah, nobody was okay this time too. Nobody was okay. And you know, time hop, it will, is pulling up memories. Like I saw, I think the last text message that my mom sent us before, like while she was, you know, pretty much coherent. So as that came up, cause I remember like screenshotting it at that time. And, and I'm seeing like things. I remember like a, a picture that came up, like what was Ellie was doing something. And I'm like, Oh yeah, I sent that to her or, you know, things like that are popping up. And I, as painful as they are to relive, I just let it keep happening because that was, those were like the last moments that I shared with my mom while she was still alive. And I don't ever want to lose that. Never, mm-hmm. ever. So I just kind of, just kind of got to let it go with the flow and just like, oh, here we go again. So anyway, yeah, this time of year is, is tough as, as is any time of year that's associ- associated with someone losing somebody, you know, there's the sights, the sounds, the smells, it all just really brings you back. Yes. So I wanted Kara to bring this back up again to help get us into this episode, because the idea of prolonged grief being considered a mental health disorder to me seems wild. Like, 
to, and I, and Kara, if you want to read off like exactly what the American Psychiatric Association is considering prolonged grief, and I still am not with it. Yeah, I'm not either. So yeah, so the definition that they are giving is that prolonged grief disorder is described as those who are incapacitated, pining, and ruminating a year after a loss and unable to return to previous activities. Now, and I think that we're starting to go down the same, like you and I have the same thoughts on this, even though we haven't talked about it. That seems extreme, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and I'm not saying that I know, I can a hundred percent understand that there are, there are people that are at this state and they are just physically, emotionally unable mm-hmm. to move on. Mm-hmm. My heart is so, or just hurts and is so heavy for them. But like, I feel like it could be broader than that. It doesn't have to be at such a extreme level. But I think, so I think that they're trying to make it that at an extreme level like that, so that like you and I can't be like, well, we've got prolonged grief disorder because we still miss our parents. But I, I think- The whole thing I'm rejecting is like the idea that grief is a disorder necessarily. Like, I don't, I don't love that. Like, and I, I I do get that there are people who can't like, it is, they're not okay. Like a year plus or anything after that. And I I do get that, but like part of me in this article, so we're going to, we're going to be quoting and we'll put it in the show notes. Promise this time. We always say we're going to put shit in the show notes and we don't promise you guys. Pinky promise. Pinky, pinky pinky swear. Yeah. 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 (laughs) So the article that we are going to be referencing most of this episode and that actually brought up this whole discussion is a New York Times or wait, was it New York Times? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. New York Times article that someone sent to me. Obviously I had, I've had thoughts and re- I've read it and was like, what the F mm-hmm. and then sent it to Kara and her and I were like, okay, yeah, we've got thoughts on this. And I, I get on the one hand, I do get that for insurance purposes, someone should be able to say that this, this should be able to be a diagnosis for insurance purposes. So then that person can have like long-term disability coverage. Like they can return, like all of those things. I get that. And the American health system, this is actually just an episode where I'm going to trash the American healthcare system because it's trash. (laughs) But on the other hand, I really reject grief as a disorder because I think grief is a natural outcome or a natural feeling to an outcome, like to how my fear is that making it a mental health disorder or making it even something diagnosable will put a stigma on it. And we're already trying really hard to not. We're already like this podcast and many other podcasts like Good Morning Podcast or blogs. Like there's lots of literature and amazing people out in this world who are like trying to put a different face on grief so that people can recognize it and it doesn't have to be this scary thing that you and only you are going through alone. So like, and I'm, I know I'm rambling, I'm getting there. Grief itself is so isolating and you think that it's only you feeling that way. And so I feel like by putting a diagnosis on it, that's not depression. Cause that's also what my thoughts were. Why isn't this depression? Why right. aren't those like, and as a person who, who suffers from depression and anxiety and all of those things proudly, like I'm not ashamed of those things at all. Not ashamed to talk about them proudly medicated. And so I'm like also trying to figure out like, why isn't this that like, are we just getting around situational depression? Like, anyways, I'm mumbling all of that to say, I don't love this being a diagnosis in any shape or the form. I don't care how extreme or not extreme it is because I just feel like it is going to add to the stigma. Right. I think when you late, when you attach the word disorder to something, it makes it sound like there's something wrong with you. 
And I think that we are constantly trying to normalize all of these things. Like everybody has something going on. Mm -hmm. There's nobody, you know, social media is the highlight, highlight reel. A, A teacher told me once, like, if we could all just walk around with a chalkboard around our neck and had it like listed, like what was really going on inside of mm-hmm. us because so often these disorders or whatever's going on is, is hidden. So like it may mm-hmm. not be outward facing, but then we'd all feel a whole hell of a lot better about ourselves. Like that mm-hmm. everybody is going through this. You know, when you attach the word disorder to it, it really kind of puts a negative, a negative spin to it. But at the same time, we are out here trying to fight the good fight, trying to normalize grief that it's something at some point that I think every single human on this planet experiences in one form or another. Some of us not as heavy maybe, but I think it's the same as like trying to normalize things like autism or in our son's case, hemophilia, trying to like, but yeah, but he can still have a normal life and quote unquote normal life. Like what's, mm-hmm. what does that even mean? So I agree. I, I think that when you attach the word disorder to it, it just really puts a, it, I think it's the, the, the medical community's way of diagnosing someone with something. And that's mm-hmm. the way it I guess with insurance and everything. And I, yeah, like, so a quote that I liked from the article is that some psychotherapists are actually like against this, like against the labeling of this. And someone said, well, quote unquote, the article says that psychotherapists say that grief is not a problem to be solved, but a process to be lived through and whatever form it may take. A effing men, like a effing men, like who is anyone to tell somebody that after a year, you should no longer be pining, ruminating, unable to return to previous activities. Because in my case, like I, you don't know what the circumstances of, of the grief are. Right. So like in my case, without my mom, my entire fucking life fell apart. So you damn right. A year later, I was still pining, ruminating. Yeah. Incapacitated a year after her loss. Yes. Like unable to move on because at fuck my brother and I didn't even know how we were going to keep the lights on half the time. So like, yes, I was pining, ruminating all those things. I was not okay a year afterwards. And I personally think, so the title of this article was like, can you put a timeline on grief pretty much to which I say, absolutely fucking not. Like I, 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 who, who is anyone to say there are too many like extenuating circumstances for it to be diagnosable. Right. Right. Like for for it to be a thing to me, like for you just don't know what someone's life is like, Kara, your mom passed away and you had a miscarriage within a year. Yeah. That's a fucking lot. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Who is is someone to tell you that like, get back to work, Kara. Right. I know. Yeah. Here's 10 days, which was great. Don't get me wrong, but like here's 10 days. Now you need to come on. You need to pull your tits up, sister. Let's go. And right. Like like, I just, I can't sometimes. I feel like a year in a lifetime that you're getting ready to live without this person, a year is a blip in that, if that makes sense. Like my mom has been gone for almost 17 years now. So a year is a blip in that 17 years in my life has changed so much. I just, if somebody had, I also feel like you could be wrongfully diagnosing people. Right. So my therapist told me, you know, there's the five stages of grief. I'm like, no sister, there's seven, there's even 21. So we want to talk about them. Let's go. So anyway, Mm -hmm. but she was like, I I love her. So I'm not like talking shit on her at all. I think she's great. And she had a point here. She was like, you have a year. The first year is, and she's right. Like the first year absolutely fucking sucks. And I'm not saying that the year subsequent 
subsequently don't suck. But that first year, I guess I can also only speak for myself. That first year, it was bad. I did not know what I was doing. I didn't, Mm -hmm. I was drinking a lot and I was not being myself. And, you know, holidays were just, their holidays are going to be hard that first year. After that, I feel the first anniversary, you're, you know, you don't know, you don't know how to act. You don't know family members, like, you know, roles change and your role changes. And now you're lost without this person because you, that person was everything to you. And trying to navigate those waters is really difficult. After you get that first year under your belt, it gets a little bit, I don't want to say better. I guess it just Mm -hmm. changes and you are hopefully able to start doing things differently. But I guess maybe this is like where this prolonged grief disorder, this definition comes in into play, because if someone really and truly isn't able to get out of bed, if they aren't eating, or if they are just going off the walls and eating up, you know, all balls, like rhymed, I know. Why do I do it? It's like something that's so serious. If they were eating all balls. (laughs) Yeah, they're eating. Yeah, going. Yeah. Giggle, giggle, giggle. Oh God. Okay. (laughs) Siri's chit-chatting too. So I guess with this diagnosis, it would, someone would have to be at at such the severe end case. They did say it's, it it does, it was designed to apply to a narrow slice of the population. So Mm -hmm. this so I would imagine that this person or persons would have to be so severely incapacitated. Sure. Sure. Like, you know, so yes, I agree that it's hard to label something that we all go through naturally, but you're born with autism. You're born with a cleft palate. You're Mm -hmm. born with whatever. And so that's natural too. Yeah, no, that's a good point. That's a good point. And it is. And like my hesitation is not to, I do recognize that there are people I'm not trying to like me to this, like, I'm not trying to be like, well, I'm still sad. Yeah. I, I'm not trying to that. And I do, I do recognize that there are people who, who are that, like, it is that difficult, but I'm like, I feel like they should be given more than a year before they're put into a category. I don't know. I just feel like a year, like a year is not a long time. <laughs> Like it's not a long time after the loss of someone significant, a year is not a long time for you to, I feel like this is saying like, so by a year, you should like have your life back together. And it's like, but what if I don't? Okay. But let me, let me play devil's advocate here. So like, what if this, what if this person is in those early beginning stages of grief, like you are incapacitated, you are Mm -hmm. barely functioning. To to stay in that level of that mental space for a year, a year isn't that long in a lifetime, but it's a very long time to be in that space. And that person isn't living. They're not enjoying their life. And what if it gets to the point that they would hurt themselves, Mm -hmm. you know, and maybe, Mm -hmm. and maybe they had, I could also see that being like, okay, we have to like put a timestamp on this, you know, because it has to be, maybe they're looking at it too, with like getting through all the firsts and, you know, if, oh God, they're, they're at the first, everything. And they're still in bed, can't shower, can't eat, whatever. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Then, you know, like I said, it's a narrow slice of the population. But I guess like, why isn't that depression? Right. Why wouldn't that be? Why? Yeah. Like, why wouldn't that be depression? depression? Is is that mislabeling depression? Is depression labeled as, maybe I should just Google it. 
according to the, maybe I will. You know what? Get to the old Google. You know, maybe is depression caused by, there's a, there's a several different things which can cause depression. It could just be a chemical imbalance. It's situational. One. People have seasonal depression, you know, like, so like, yeah. I can't, I don't understand why this can't be an offshoot of depression. I mean, obviously I'm not classically trained in any kind of psychoanalytics. Didn't go to med school. I work in marketing. Right. So I'm, <laughs> yeah, we both do. We're just a couple yeah. of marketing chicks talking about loss. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, one of my side note, one of my good friends, also listener of the podcast, she is a doctor and was like, oh, okay. It was literally LOLing at me and you, like fumbling our way through talking about versus diagnosis. <laughs> I just, I just, I just, I just took a drink. Oh my God. She sent me a text that was like, you and Kara talking about medical stuff, LOL. You know, she's probably like, just spit it the fuck out. Nope, she's wrong. She's wrong. And also when I was listening back, I was like, yeah, I fucked that up. But it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. She she was like, LOL. I was like, well, we work in marketing. Dr. Fred. So according to the APA, the American Psychiatric Association, depression is a common, well, obviously, a common and serious medical illness that negatively affects how you feel, the way you think and how you act. So yeah. So why isn't this depression? I found, I found why they list why depression is different from sadness or grief. Okay. Ooh, yes. Read it, girl. So depression is different from sadness or grief slash bereavement. The death of a loved one, loss of a job are difficult experiences for one person to endure. It's normal for feelings of sadness or grief to develop in response to those situations. But being sad is not the same as having depression. The grieving process is a natural and unique to each individual and shares some of the same features of depression. Both grief and depression may involve intense sadness and withdrawal. They are also different in important ways. Like in grief, painful feelings come in waves, often intermixed with positive memories of the deceased. Mm. Okay. And major depression, mood and or interest, i.e. pleasure, are decreased for most of two weeks. In grief, self-esteem. Two weeks? I know. I still feel like that's- Where is all of this arbitrary time coming from? But okay. I don't know. But like, also, like, I feel like you can be- Yeah, I, yeah I, I, I agree. Like, you could be- Because of your grief, you're depressed. Because you're grieving, you're depressed- I don't know. That's that's how I feel. I feel like they're interwoven. Like I yeah. this sounds like it was written by someone who never experienced either, but probably. And grief, self-esteem is usually maintained, and major depression, feelings of worthlessness and self-loathing are common. I guess. Okay. In grief, thoughts of death may surface when thinking or fantasizing about joining the deceased loved one. And major depression. Thoughts are focused on ending one's life due to feeling worthless or undeserving of living or being unable to cope with the pain of depression. Grief and depression can coexist. For some people, the death of a loved one, losing a job or a victim of physical assault or a major disaster can lead to depression. When grief and depression co-occur, the grief is more severe and lasts longer than grief without depression. Fuck, this is confusing. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. So like now are they just going to be like, you're feeling sad, hopeless and down in the dumps. Did someone die? Yes. All right. You're just got grief. Go over there. Yeah. You're going to, you're going to go sit with those grieving, grieving folks. Yes. You sit grief to the left, depressed to the right. Yeah. (laughs) Another quote I liked from this article. Well, I've got two that I'll read because they, I like them because I agree with them or they agree (laughs) with me to set a year as a point for a diagnosis is arbitrary and kind of cruel said Anne hood 
whose memoir, Comfort, A Journey Through Grief, describes the death of her five-year-old daughter from a strep infection. Her own experience was full of peaks and valleys and surprises. I think that's why I'm like, what? Because we we preach that grief isn't linear and we right. preach to feel your feels. And so it feels weird that all of a sudden, like there's this diagnosis that like, I feel like it's just saying like, after a year, you need to pick yourself, you pick your shit up and never feel sad again, I guess. One of our friends said, who we had lunch with, one of Karen and I's friends was saying she likes our podcast because it, it has led her to understand that grief isn't linear. So like she, her grandma passed away. 20 years ago, she recently opened a box that smelled like her grandma because it had been in her grandma's house and she lost it. Like absolutely lost it. We do so much work in this space to just normalize your feelings and the way that you grieve is the way that you grieve. Like grief is very personal. I have a quote that's like grief is a universal thing. Like grief is a universal thing that's personal to everybody. Like we will all experience grief. And so, which also is another reason why I'm like, "Mm, I don't know about this because I also truly believe that grief doesn't, isn't only the death of someone. Right. I think that you can grieve lots things. Oh and yeah. So I I think you can grieve a dream deferred, a bad breakup, a life you thought you were going to have, a job you didn't get. And while yes, those are all different varying levels of grief. We've all been grieving the last two years, the life we thought we had. Pandemic came in and changed everything we know. Right. Our, our friendships are different now based on like who we were able to see over the last two years. The way we work is different. There's so many things that are part of grief that I'm like, I still don't like it. I don't like this diagnosis. I know. Yeah, I know. I don't either. I did find that they say in this article, which I don't like either. I wish I wouldn't have put this in here because it it kind of makes it sound like it discredits the whole thing, the whole diagnosis almost because it says both teams of researchers felt that they could identify the disorder six months after a bereavement, but the American Psychiatric Association begged and pleaded in quotes to define the syndrome more conservatively, which would be a year after death to Mm -hmm. avoid public backlash. Huh? So that right there to avoid public backlash, that makes me feel like it's not based on this should be based on science. It should be based on a bajillion studies. You know, I don't know, you know, that Mm -hmm. would help them come to the determination, not just on to avoid public backlash. No. So here. So and I think this was also a little bit in this article, too. So here's what I was getting ready to say. I've been doing this whole intuitive eating journey. I promise this is going to make sense. <laughs> Hear me out. It's going to be real honest. I, so I have, I'm doing this whole intuitive eating journey. I am not dieting, blah, blah, blah. As part of that. So I started seeing a nutritionist. Nutritionist is like, listen to these podcasts. Like this is going to be a journey that I'm on basically. And I've agreed to myself that for a year, I'm all in on intuitive eating, not dieting. My body is what my body is. Nice. But as a part of that though, so I have been all in on this podcast called Maintenance Phase. It's amazing. Hmm. And they basically debunk all of diet culture. I need to sign me up. I love this. Go on. And they're fucking hilarious. Like it would be like me and you talking diet culture because we're fucking players. But they have similar, they go on random tangents. They like I love love them, love them. Like, and it's such a, it's such a, and it's all based in like research science. Like they're not, they're debunking a whole lot of shit. Okay. Right. And so one of the episodes they debunked was this idea that we were in the middle of an obesity epidemic. We're actually not the, they've moved the BMI goalpost actually. So take it all the way back. BMI is bullshit because it's based on white men only. 
and it was never meant for anybody but white men, like white Anglo-Saxon, like European men. And it was not made by a nutritionist or anything. It was like a mathematician dude in the 1800s, probably before, who was not even using it as a health barometer. Like he was just trying to use it to like something with populations back then. Fast forward, the health community grabbed a hold of it and was like, this is how we should measure everybody. Then it actually became a very racist tool, right? Because then they start putting black bodies, black and brown bodies and women who who are naturally fatter than men because we are carrying babies. So so they start putting all of those up to the ideal, which is this white Anglo-Saxon man. And then it becomes, this is the definition of health and everybody else is not. Right. So in Uh, the seventies. Right. Sure. Yes. yes, This (laughs) is listen, listen to this episode. It's so good. It'll piss you off though. So in the (laughs) seventies, they used to say that the and these numbers, I'm just going to make these up, but to paint the picture, they said in the seventies that what was considered obesity or obese in America would have been like anything above a 27 or a 28 BMI today. It's a 25. Um, What? Yes. So we just moved the goalpost. Ew. We moved it back. Yeah. So then, so then naturally more people became obese. Yeah. Then, so, so if that's not already like, you're like, what the fuck? That's kind of shitty, blah, blah, blah. So then, then come to find out the companies that backed the research to try to say that there's an, an epidemic pharma. Oh yeah. Why? I'm so not they can surprised. Push, yeah. So that they can push weight loss drugs. I was so good. I was just like making that correlation in my head. I'm like, they moved that back because of, yes. because of pharma. Yeah. And so I, also have a a feeling I have that same icky feeling about this like is this just a a move like a backroom handshake so that pharma because it didn't didn't that article say they were testing new drugs for this too yeah is this just a background a back no one else is in the room when it happened see what I did there Hamilton fans yeah is this this is just a backroom handshake so that pharma can like sell more products off of the backs of people who are fucking grieving, who are fucking sad and having enough to have a tough time anyway. Boom, shakalaka. Right. And I quote, it will most likely open a stream of funding for research into treatments. Naltrexone, I probably butchered that. Naltrexone used to help treat addiction is currently in clinical trials as a form of grief therapy and set off a competition for approval of medicines by the FDA. That is a hundred percent, hundred percent, Rashida. You right? you you come up with a new diagnosis. We got a drug to fix it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. More money mm-hmm. instead of just letting that person work it out. Like instead of and again, proudly medicated. Like I also, right? I'm not against medication. I'm. Right. I was getting ready to be like, I'm not a big against big pharma. I am like against <laughs> probably capitalism. I don't know, but. <laughs> I'm okay with taking meds if that is what is right for you. Like taking, I'm on a hundred milligrams of Zoloft and that is right for me. Right. And I, and I do believe there are times when therapy is the answer. Therapy is the long-term solution to a disorder or like anything someone's going through. But sometimes I think you need medicine to let the therapy in. You need to take the medicine to like, let your guard down enough for the therapy to work. Right. And here's the other thing. If somebody is in this, uh, such a state of despair, I mean, they're already probably by this point seeing a therapist, mm-hmm. they will have seen a therapist or some sort some type of doctor, psychiatrist to get this diagnosis. 
Mm-hmm. So is that really helping them? Okay. Now I can finally put a diagnosis to you. You have prolonged grief disorder. And like by then, like, why couldn't, shouldn't the doctor have already been prescribing different medicines and like, they should have maybe been playing around with dosages and like, whatever, like that doesn't work for you. It makes you feel weird. Don't take it. Okay. Let's try this. Or like, you know, like, mm-hmm. Why, why does labeling this, and I don't know that this article goes into it, but why does giving it this label outside of one thing, opening up the competition for approval of medicines? Mm-hmm. It's fucked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the only benefit I could see truly is that your insurance would then have to cover if you needed to take all that time off work, you would be able to get short-term or long-term disability, I guess, but insurance is shady. You barely get short-term disability now for projecting a fucking human from your body. Don't even get me started. I know. Right. I'm like, if that, like, so I'm like, there are so many other things we need to fix in this country. Coming up with more diagnosis is obviously not the fucking problem. Right. Exactly. When, when half of us don't have health insurance, that counts anyways. Exactly. Exactly. What good is it's doing? They don't care. Mm-hmm. More money for pharma. I know. So like now that I've learned all of that about the obesity epidemic, it has made me question. And I'm not even a conspiracy theorist. I'm not. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, except for the Avril Lavigne one. That one's kind of interesting to me. I don't know that one. Another time. Okay. 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 I I promised we'd stay on tap. We'd stay on tap. (laughs) I'm not even a conspiracy theorist, mostly in part because like my brain is too tired to like give that real estate in my head. But when it comes to like legislation being passed and random shit like this, like this is now a disorder. There is always a backroom handshake. There is always a reason. Again, not a conspiracy theorist, but was on Twitter where all the conspiracy theorists are. Yeah. And saw this tweet that was like, if anybody looks deeply into, so you know how in Florida that you can't teach critical race theory anymore. Uh And so it has come out that the people who are pushing not to teach critical race theory Uh actually have tied. So when, when that passed that you can't teach critical race theory, basically it put a monopoly on all of the like who, who school districts in Florida could buy books from, and now they can only buy books from one publisher. So the people pushing the critical race theory have ties by publisher. Yeah. Hmm. And so I'm like, it's never about like this. I'm, I'm, ugh, I could do a never. whole, I could do a whole nother podcast on like Brushita becoming disillusioned with American government during oh, 2020. It's, <laughs> politicians, they, they act like they are for the people, for the American, Nobody people, for is the for average them, American person. They are not for us. It's all about money. It's yes. all about money. Yes. And so, yeah, this article reeked to me of mm-hmm. like in this, making this a diagnosis, it reeked to me of like, Somebody's getting paid somewhere. Yes, off the back, off, off the backs of people who are actually grieving, and that's effed up to me. Well, re- they say it. Yeah, it opens up a, a competition for other drugs and the FDA, and and I have like a little bit, very little experience with this because of Brooks's diagnosis with hemophilia. Mm-hmm. That because they are so close in finding a cure, we've been told that medical companies are just throwing money at this because it's like the race to the finish. Like who gets the top one who gets, mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. it's the, who gets the top, who's going to cure this. And then they get all the money. So which yeah. is like, and it's also like, again, the flip side, obviously you want a cure for Brooks. So like throw all the right. money at it. Right. So like, right. but it's also just like, hey, I know it's, all, it's, it's all I know gross. it's all icky. It is. And so I'm like, we're doing, we're doing God's work here. Okay. Yeah, we are. We and like, 
trying to the Lord's work, Rashida. The Lord's work. The Lord's work. Real we Lord's work. Trying to and trying to normalize grief and normalizing your feelings that you're feeling with it and like letting you know that it feel your feels. Right. And then like the APA comes along and is like, feel your feels, but not for like at a year. Yeah. Your time's up. TikTok, sister. Yeah. All because no. they're trying to make some extra money off of pharma. Listen, we're just a couple of, you know, mid thirties advertising gals who have had some loss in their lives and, but we're going to shoot you straight. Okay. We are not paid. We have zero sponsors. It's unfortunate, but uh, if there are any <laughs> sponsors, <laughs> if you want to sponsor us, we definitely, yeah. um, well, our for DMs show listen. Yeah. For collabs. Yeah, right. Yeah. we we're, we're open, yeah. but seriously, the first year, like when someone in it, okay. That I will just say one last thing. When I was first going through this and someone told me that I think either someone told me, or I came to the realization on my own, like, holy fuck, this is how the rest of my life is going to be. Mm -hmm. You mean I have to feel this way for even a year? Like Mm -hmm. I'm never going to get better. Like that was so hard to swallow. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just know that the first year is going to suck and there is no timeline on your, on grief. Right. And the sooner, I guess maybe it just is, if you can just remember that and just accept, don't have any expectations for yourself and just accept the feelings as they come, you're maybe going to be a lot better off. I don't know. That's just and how, like how we have do, dealt with it. Yes. And like actively do the things to start to feel better. Right. So like see a therapist, go on depression meds if that is what you need to do. Like actively start to try to dig, quote unquote, I'm like trying to tread lightly here, actively start to try to dig yourself out of the hole, but like know that some days you're just in the fucking hole. Yep. So cuddle up, get and a blanket. That's okay. And fuck it up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Like, it even is if you've okay. Done all of the things. Like even if you've tried to do all the things, like some, some days you're just in the hole and some days, some days you might wake up in that hole 20 years removed because you opened a box from your grandma's house and it smells like her. Boom. And that's okay. And that's okay. Yep. I don't know. I think we did it. I do too. I think we got angry enough in this one. Yeah. We, we set the APA straight, set the New York times straight. We Who did. else come for us? Come at us. Yes. Speaking, speaking of sponsors though, if you can't find us a sponsor, what you can do for us though, is rate us on Apple podcasts <laughs> and leave us a review pretty please. That helps. Yeah. Other people. Yeah. That helps other people find us, follow us on Instagram, join our Facebook group, grieving mama's club. Yeah. Come hang out with us. Karen and I are always here to hang out. We're down to clown that we are. Oh. All right, guys. Thanks so much for listening to the grieving mama's club podcast. Just remember when times get tough, you're a bad SB and you got this mama.